Hello and welcome to the Jammy Sesh, a place where at least 50% of us are wearing our pajamas and 100% of us are talking about our medical school dilemmas. I'm Grace, a third year at an allopathic medical school in the U.S., and I'm happy you're here. Our first season will be a series on bioethical dilemmas that we have encountered in our clinical rotations. We won't necessarily decide what is right or wrong because we recognize that the world is not black and white and that every situation is unique, but we do want to explore how we, as medical students, can best be stewards of the bioethical principles in our work. We may say things that you don't agree with, and we encourage different viewpoints, but this podcast is also meant to be a space in which we can debrief about our emotions and reactions to these often challenging situations. So we hope you enjoy as we blunder through our very own problems. So today's episode is part two of our discussion with Jay about Miss W. Um, So just a quick recap, she is an 80-year-old lady Um, She came in originally for pain in her arm due to a large mass. Notably, she speaks Japanese only and does not speak any English. She also has vascular dementia, which further limited her ability to express what she wanted for herself and for her life. So we continue to discuss the ethical dilemmas that Jay encountered and identified during his interactions with Miss W and her family. Um, we might have overestimated her pain, um, maybe just based on how she ex- expressed herself. She seemed to be in a lot of pain, but um, perhaps she wasn't in a lot of pain as we had. Um, and this might have been influenced by our Western uh, view of how pain should be felt and addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps, you know, for us, we think we see someone in pain, you automatically got to comfort them using um, any means um, necessary, to like kind of like a step grade manner in terms of the strength of uh, pain killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that, especially with patients who have um, like a really serious condition or um, cancer. Uh, we do tend to want to make sure that their um, their healing process isn't just pain and more pain all the way through. Um, so I I do think that that's something that we kind of have ingrained in our in our minds. Um, and I think it's you know like I think a lot of it is because people go into the medical field wanting to help people feel better, and having a patient in pain is not really. Um, to us, like being successful in that. And so I think sometimes we try really hard, maybe a little too hard. <laughs> I, think I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think um, it kind of goes on to your next point, which is that um, you and your team really wanted to minimize harm. Um, and so what were your, um, your thoughts on how you guys were trying to honor uh, the principle of non-maleficence with this patient in particular. Mm-hmm. So, given her situation with arm, she's going to be in pain no matter what. Either we do surgery, mm-hmm. that can involve an amputation, 
um, she can have further radiation and that can involve further like uh, skin damage. Mm-hmm. Or we can just not do an intervention and just try to manage her pain. But either way, I, I really hate situations like this, but she's going to be in pain no matter what we do. Our, our job is to, you know, what, what intervention will be to the least pain possible, taking into consideration what the patient wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we talked with the family and told them about, you know, if surgery were to be done, it would be with amputation. Um, and then the family wanted to discuss about it. And um, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know how to say this, but our options became just one at one point. Um, after further um, evaluation of uh, Ms. W by the surgical oncologist mm-hmm. and also the radiation oncologist, she was found not to be the surgical candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amputation was no longer on the table. Mm-hmm. And because she had received radiation in the past, the risk of tissue not healing with mm-hmm. further radiation was, uh, was very high. And so she wasn't a radiation candidate either. Mm. Um, and so we were just left with that choice of um, just trying to make her as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so given that, our, our thought was she's scared of hospital workers. So we minimized the amount of time spent with her. Mm-hmm. We made sure we went all at once as a group rather than me coming in, the resident coming in, the attending coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, we made sure they had as much privacy as possible. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted them to know what the process was like up ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, she was given a limited, uh, a bleak prognosis, uh, perhaps several months. And so we let them know about end-of-life care, such as being full code versus DNR, and, or DNI, which uh, do not intubate mm-hmm. or do not resuscitate. And we, uh, the family ultimately made the decision to make her DNR. Mm. Um, I feel like that is a, um, a really difficult situation. Uh, to be in and a really difficult decision for families because um, this is someone that you know like is your mom um, and and like no one ever wants to to have to make a decision like this Um, and so um, I think you had mentioned that the palliative care team was involved Um, can you tell us a little bit about that yeah we had to make was is she capable of making her own decisions? Mm-hmm. Does she have enough thought process and rationality to consider the risks and benefits of any healthcare decisions she makes? Mm-hmm. Now that was hard because there are barriers of she doesn't want to talk this much. Mm-hmm. She has dementia and she also uh, speaks a foreign language mm-hmm. and this decision is um, it's so tremendous because it weighs on someone's autonomy. Mm-hmm. And we 
said, we need help. And we got palliative care involved. Mm-hmm. And they came with us. So you had two attendings come in and mm-hmm. evaluate the patient with a translator. And the translator was a, a, like an in-person translator. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, she was found not to make her own, not to have capacity to make her own decision. Mm-hmm. And so um, any decision that was going to be made would be um, her proxy, her husband. Mm-hmm. And her husband, um, really, I, I, I saw the, the, the gravity in his, like, in his eyes. He was a very, uh, he, was, he had a lot of uh, thoughts that he would be responsible for all the decisions, but family supported him a lot and they um, communicated a lot. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, the, the palliative care team, um, at our hospital, I think is, um, they're really good at helping to, um, helping to, you know, like talk to the family about, um, the options, what's going on, um, and just really being able to spend time with them. Um, so I'm really glad they were involved, um, in this case to help, uh, determine, her capacity and to help um, with like any decisions that her husband had to make. Um, do you? Yeah, we, we were, we're also very grateful for their help. Mm, yeah, and yeah, they're very nice, kind individuals. Um, do you happen to remember what um, what was their reasoning for determining that she didn't have capacity? And she wasn't able to really verbalize mm-hmm. the risks or benefits of the decisions mm-hmm. that um, we laid on her. That she wasn't uh, really aware of her surroundings mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those were a couple of factors that uh, led to that decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then for determining that her husband was her healthcare proxy, um, was that? Like had she, um, had she designated him to be her healthcare proxy, or was it uh, based on kind of the line of succession? If you don't have somebody designated before you lose capacity, yeah, that that latter. Okay, I see. Yeah. Um, and how was his um his willingness to talk with healthcare providers and the team? Was he also very nervous to be in the hospital? I, well, he was so helpful to us. He was very patient with us. Mm -hmm. Um, He also did not speak any English. Mm -hmm. um, But um, he, whenever we got one in-person translator to be there, Mm -hmm. we set up the translator phone, which we call the blue phone for um, translation. Mm -hmm. He was always waiting. He always answered all of our questions. And he cooked home. You know, he brought home cooked meals for Miss oh. um, W, and he didn't show it, but I, I, I imagine that he was very, um, he was very stoic, but I can imagine he was very frightful on the inside too, mm. given the gravity of the situation. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really nice to hear that she had such um, a supportive and loving husband and family. To help make these yeah. decisions for her when she was um, no longer able to, and um, yeah, I 
I just can't even imagine for him what it felt like um, to have to be making these decisions for his wife. Um, so I know that you're in, in all of this, you know, we've already talked about your team, the surgical oncologist, the palliative care team. Um, so it sounds like a lot of people were involved. Um, how did that kind of play into the principle of justice? Well, um, the surgical oncology team and the radiation oncology team, they're really busy too. Mm -hmm. And they have their own patients. And we had other patients too. Mm -hmm. But we, this, is a, this is a matter of um, someone's life mm -hmm. and we couldn't risk any miscommunication and we had to set up a time that worked for surge, radon, uh, internal meds and mm -hmm. uh, the family themselves mm -hmm. and to find matching time would be hard uh, but I mean we were really lucky we, we did find a time that worked for all of us that did not compromise any care or any time uh, that we would spend on our other patients mm -hmm. so um, I'm really grateful for that um, that we had an opportunity to um, discuss um, as a whole yeah, yeah, that is super incredible that all of um, the different people were able to come together um, into one meeting and have this discussion. Um, yeah. Was there like a certain team that was more uh, like that took the initiative to kind of set that up and get everyone together? Or was it just like everyone collaborated and somehow found a date? I, I, it was internal medicine that okay. um, we're like her primary team mm, okay. and they're the consultants so mm -hmm. we just asked um, what time they would be available okay. and let them know that um, these are the times we're available mm -hmm. and so um, it all worked out. That's awesome um, that it worked out uh, yeah. in the midst of such a sad situation. Um, it's so it's so important and um, so necessary to make sure that every team that's involved is on the same page to provide the best possible care um, according to the patient's and her family's wishes. So that is really awesome. Um, and I think when you were um, taking care of this patient, I am pretty sure I ran into the resident that was on your team. This might not be the case, but I remember he was very appreciative um, of how you were running all over the place, making sure that the translator was available um, and that you were just trying your best to make sure that um, this patient was taken care of to the best of your team's ability. So I know that you were very much appreciated um, on your team. So that is awesome. And um, I guess <laughs> what, what ended up happening with this patient, if you don't mind sharing? So we, we broke that news that she wasn't a surgical or radiation candidate. Mm -hmm. She was made DNR, um, and we discharged her um, with you know instructions. Uh, she would get help from a home nurse to mm -hmm. help with the dressing changes, and um, she had uh, the Percocet and other painkillers to help if there was any worsening pain. Mm -hmm. um, and so. She was 
discharged. And then um, at one point, the pain was really intolerable. Mm. Um, several months later, um, and I actually had seen her again. Um, and, uh, she, she, yeah, she was very deteriorating. Mm. And I think one thing that we should have suggested on the first time around, mm-hmm. but which we did on the second time around, was um, hospice care. Mm. And what kind of hospice care she would have preferred, meaning at her home, you know, at someone else's like facility. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, God bless the uh, social workers too. They're amazing. And they, mm-hmm. they arranged hospice care. And she, um, she passed away uh, relatively uh, soon after that. Mm-hmm. And I would like to um, think that we helped at least in trying to make her feel more comfortable mm-hmm. in a place where um, she doesn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, she can't mentally um, comprehend all the changes that are happening to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and just adjusting to a different culture and right. just reaching another at, at, at her end point of life. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was it was a case I took into heart and that I really learned a lot from. Mm-hmm. And like one of those cases where like, it reminds me of why I went to med school in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she definitely does sound like a patient that will, you know, like stay with you for a really long time maybe forever. Um, and I think one that will really, um, really kind of bless your future interactions with your patients, because um, you'll have that much more empathy. So that is great. And I, I would also like to second your point about social workers being amazing people. Um, they just have so much to offer and so many solutions to all of the, like, whatever problem we could possibly throw their way. So they are amazing. Yeah. Um, Life savers. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, this is um, definitely a really sad story um, about a really uh, difficult um, situation with, with your patient. Um, and I think it has a lot of bioethical implications, um, but also just a lot of a lot of um, a lot of takeaway points, um, and I think you cover those so well um, when you talk about wanting to make sure that we are um, helping the patient out, but in a way that honors her decisions or what she would have wanted, um, rather than trying to impose on her what we think is best. Um, also, just that open line of communication and finding different and creative ways to to talk to her and to make sure that she's um, involved in her care. I think those were all really special things that you and your team did for her and her family. So good work. (laughs) Thanks for having me on the show, Grace. Yeah, of course. But you are not going to escape without telling me if you're wearing pajamas or not, because we are on the jammy sesh. Yes, I am wearing pajamas. Okay, good. Um, would you, if they're appropriate, would you like to <laughs> describe them? <laughs> well, my pajamas are just shorts. Uh, um, actually, the army shorts. They're so comfortable. And so 
Those are, that's what I'm wearing. Nice. Army shorts it is. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing about your patient um, and for just being so open about everything um, that happened. And yeah, go Army. Thank you so much for jamming with us this season on the Jammy Sesh. We're cooking up something good for season two, so please stay tuned.